Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Listeners, welcome to Bitches on Comics. I'm your host, S.E. Fleenor, and today I am solo. They've set me free, and I'm going to do whatever I feel like, which just so happens to be talking to the lovely Brittany Matter and Daylin Ogden. Hi, Brittany and Daylin. Hi. Hi. Thanks so much for having us. Oh, thanks for being here. Well, Brittany and Daylin, I'm pumped because we are squeezing you in right to the deadline. You know, maybe not as fun for you, but fun for me, of your (laughs) Zoop campaign for Dead Dreams, The Lucid Chronicles. So we're really pumped that we were able to get you in. Sarah and Monica, of course, send their best and say, woohoo, go you. And I get the honor of digging into your brains today. So not literally. I won't. I won't be going to your home and touching your brain. I promise. Honestly, we live <laughs> close enough together that like, go nuts. Go crazy. Okay, fine. I'll, I'll be right over. I'll get be your, right get over. Your, get your spoon and let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> That's a horror comedy that I might end up writing. Um, Amazing. (laughs) Delightful. (laughs) So um, why don't we just have you both introduce yourselves just a little bit, tell our listeners what your your whole bag is, and let's go ahead and start with you, Daylin. Uh, Okay. Hi. Uh, My name is Daylin Ogden. My pronouns are she, her, and they, them. My favorite people in the whole world just use them interchangeably, like an exciting and somewhat confusing blend of spices. (laughs) Um, I am a comic book artist and illustrator based out of um, Longmont, Colorado. Um, And uh, yeah, I'm the artist on Dead Dreams, Lucid Chronicles. Um, For people who are listening in, you may also recognize me from a crowdfunding campaign that closed in November of last year, which was called Whiff Wolf, um, which was co-created by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. And those are kind of my big uh, titles right now. Awesome. And Brittany, why don't you let our folks know who you are and what's going on with you? Yeah, I'm Brittany Matter, and I'm a writer-editor based out of Olympia, Washington. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm also a comics journalist. I write during the day for Marvel.com, interviewing creators and writing listicles and actually doing a lot of ghostwriting for them. I love Uh, the word listicle. Can I just say? Yeah. I, I like love and hate it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it tickles, I, do, I do. It tickles a weird spot in my brain that I'm just like, <laughs> listicle. It never <laughs> makes know. me think like uh, like a list article. It makes me think of a popsicle. 
every me too. time. You know what? Like, it makes it makes me think of a testicle. <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, that's fair. Even, even better. Even better. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna be pitching an article and be like, I've got a testicle for you. I'm gonna like yes. not even know that I did it. And they're gonna be like, excuse me, are you harassing me via the internet? No, I meant listicle. No, I meant listicle. My God. And then Brittany. You also are involved in the Off into the Sunset anthology, right? That's correct. Yes, it was funded late last year as well. I backed and it. Thank you. Yeah, wow. Thank you. Are you kidding me? Uh, like all, the, all a bunch of people that I love all on one book. Yeah, there were tons of good people. I mean, it's like 55 creators. It was insane. Yeah. Wow. yeah. And a bunch of them were my friends. So it was like, I don't think I could... Uh, I don't think I could live with myself if I didn't back it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it sounds like you're both coming off of successful campaigns, which is very cool. But also you're back into a new campaign. And I know that can be stressful. So how y'all holding up? Doing okay. <laughs> Trying try not to refresh the page every, you know, 30 minutes. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah. Yep. Gotta let it simmer. The lesson I'm always trying to learn because I'm like, but if I look at it, won't that help? Right. No, it watched yeah. pot never boils. The watched pot does not boil. That's <laughs> Turns out. Well, I would love to, you know, for our readers' sake, if one or both of you wanted to tell us a little bit about Dead Dreams, the Lucid Chronicles, just about the concept, maybe our main character, I think that'd be a great place to start today. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Dead Dreams follows Pina Axeltree, who's looking to live out her dreams to become an actress. And she takes a tonic you know, thinking that that will help her and instead wakes up in a parallel world leading a drug syndicate. So she she's kind of figure out, is this real? And what she's going to do, is she going to run or is she going to become a more ruthless version of herself? And Yeah, I love that. So tell us a little bit about the character design and, and how, you know, did you work on that together? Was that something where, Brittany, you, you sent some information to Dalen and then Dalen dug in and, and saw what they were thinking? Or, or how did that go. Uh, I would actually say that it was a little bit closer to the latter um, because this project, uh, I came onto it a little bit late in the game. Um, so by the time that I came on to be the artist for it, there were six pitch pages already done and a bunch of character designs done with a uh, previous artist named Harry Connor. And Harry did a ton of the initial legwork and the, the initial sort of like framework that I ended up working off of, which is a little bit unusual for the way that I work and the way that comics sometimes goes. Um, but in this case, like, I really liked their work on this book so much that I wanted to make sure that I was preserving as much of it as possible and, you know, making sure that their voice was still part of the chorus in the end product. And I was doing their, uh, their sensibilities justice because they did a bunch of work on the character designs and on some of the, like, the layouts and the, and the color palettes that I just wanted to make sure didn't go to waste. Wow, interesting. That is a very different process than I've heard other people talk about. How did you have to adapt your process to sort of fit with that? Um, So, you know, it's actually kind of interesting. I've done like a lot of ghost painting and stuff in the past for people. So I'm actually like surprisingly good at like mimicking other people's styles and work. And I didn't do that exactly with Harry's work, obviously. Like if you look at their art, it is very, very clearly different from mine. But it did give me sort of the ability to sit down and kind of analyze what it is about their work that I liked so much and wanted to make sure was like I was honoring in my own pages. So it was a lot of like, you know, looking at little details, looking at like the things that they wanted to 
include um, including some of the things that they sort of like made up for the pages themselves that weren't in the script. And, you know, staying staying faithful to those things. Uh, I did a lot of color picking so that I could stay kind of true to their initial vision for the um, the color palettes of the first universe. And then from there, you know, kind of once I had that framework laid out, then it was just about me sort of like sprinkling my own sensibilities in on top. Very cool. So it's like kind of a, it reminds me of like when you would, as a kid, like write a story by each writing one line and then sort of pass it along. But obviously with like, you're also writing it from... (laughs) visually from the larger perspective as well. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Like, it was definitely one of those where, like, the first six pages are ones that I I drew in Mm. the final book, but, like, they had done those pages already, and I made sure to use their work as, like, a jumping-off point. And so, like, I kept their layouts. I tried to, like, be faithful to the things that they included with the book. And, you know, obviously it was because, like, I really liked their work and I like what they had done on it but also like from a practical standpoint that made it a lot easier for like the letterer to swap out the pages too mm-hmm. yeah um so yeah. <laughs> it, was it, kind of a, it was kind of a twofold <laughs> benefit there where I just wanted to make sure that I was like properly honoring like the time and hours spent working on this and also trying to keep the the process as streamlined as possible and for you Brittany I'd love to know what that sort of change was like as the writer and um, I'd also love to know a little bit about where the story started and, and how it's evolved since you originally conceived of it. Oh, yeah. So this started as a short. And when I talked to a friend of mine who ended up being the editor on the book, Heather Ayers, she asked me a bunch of you know probing questions like, where are these dreams coming from? And who are the people selling them exactly? And and then I I had a bunch of answers like immediately just kind of like pour out of me. And I realized, well, this is not a short at all. This is something else. And so I sat down and I I wrote four out of five issues <laughs> over like the course of a year. And then started to build a team with Harry Connor and Ariana Maher. Um, and I think what changed, you know, from script to even just character designs was when I saw Harry's character designs, especially for Ave, Ave was female the way I wrote them, but they became non-binary once I saw their character design. And it was like this character became a new person and I had to honor what they did. And so that I changed the script and that's kind of how that process evolved there. And then from Harry to Dalen, I think that there was just like so much more, like Dalen got into the, the second universe and kind of opened up that window to me of like, okay, this is the world. This is what it looks like. And then I think it's going to help me maybe even write it a little bit differently, even though I've like tried to set it aside and not edit it anymore. (laughs) But I think it has inspired different things, like different ways that I want to write the characters, different elements of the world that Dalen put in there. I want to like continue that throughout the series. So it, it sounds like a really collaborative, creative partnership. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah, I would say yeah. so. I think that that's like kind of the way all the best comics are, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like mm-hmm. when you collaborate with somebody, you really do want to make sure that on either, of like whichever end you're you're collaborating from, you want to make sure that you're not so precious about your own thing and your own vision that you can't adapt to what the other person is asking of you. So I really think that like some of the best comics end up sort of like, they come out of the writer and then they go through the artist and then they go back to the writer and things get sort of tweaked and rearranged to sort of fit the way that the artist 
interpreted things, like the lens that that came through. And that, that kind of like marries everything together, you know? Yeah, definitely. I agree. And I think even after seeing the art, there were bits of text that I changed, you know, before I sent it off to the letterer. Yeah. Just, yeah. just to like go with the changes that happened during that art process. So talk to me a little bit about the actual mechanics of collaborating. Did you exchange digital files? Did you, you know, we've had some folks talk about, oh, I wrote in a journal and I sent it to the other person. Oh my gosh. You know, was there anything? Yeah, I was like, what? But is there, you know, anything unique about the process you all found together? Um, I wrote a script and and shared it, I think, via Dropbox or something. Yeah, <laughs> Dropbox or Drive, something. Yeah. I think I think it's been pretty standard in that way. Like, I yeah. tend to work, when I work professionally, I work almost entirely digitally, if not completely digitally, depending on the project. Things are pretty nice and streamlined that way. I don't even own a scanner anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so we pretty much just had a shared Dropbox file that we kept shooting back and forth to be like, hey, here's this, here's that. What do you think? You like it? Should I change anything? Yeah, it's mostly like, I love it. It's on my leg. Like, I felt like, should I have, should I have like criticisms? I just don't. I don't. You, you and Riley were both such easy people to work for, which was yeah. lovely. Like Riley is the writer on uh, Miranda and the Maelstrom, which is the book Brittany and I met on. Brittany was editing that book and I was the artist for issue number two. Well, that was going to be my next question. So you totally intuited it. I wanted to know how you met. (laughs) Yeah. So we met on a book called Miranda and the Maelstrom and um, written by Riley Beale. And uh, Brittany was editing. I was the artist on number two. The whole sort of fun hook of that book is that it's about interdimensional travel. And every time the main character travels to a different dimension, um, a new artist comes on. And so the art style changes totally drastically. Oh, that's fun. Sometimes mid-page. Yeah, it was really, really fun. Like, it was such a cool concept and also, like, extremely ambitious of Riley to try and wrangle five artists for his first ever miniseries. Like, but yeah, no, that was a really, really fun book to work on. And uh, yeah, you and Riley were both the same way where you're both just like, love it. This looks great. Awesome. Like, asking for, like, the barest changes, if anything. It was just (laughs) lovely. Lovely to do. Lovely to work on. It's my favorite kind of collaborations where uh, (laughs) people trust my sensibilities enough that what comes out works for them. Well, and it goes back to what you were saying, Daylin, about the best comic books being a, a sort of mutual creation in that regard. Yeah, yeah. And I think that there's something to be said, too, for the fact that, like, I really appreciate working with people who aren't too precious about every mm. single thing, like every single panel. Um, like, I've worked with writers before who are like, oh, can you fix that hand and, like, panel XYZ or whatever. And it's like, yes, I can. But it's also really important to sort of remember that like people don't look at any single comic panel for more than like a split second, like the rate at which people read. So there is like a balance there between making sure that everything looks good and also like is economical with your time. Right. You don't want to lose Um, the forest for the trees. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's always really, really nice and refreshing to work with writers who can be hands-off enough that I feel like they're respectful of my time. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely, piggybacking off of that, have in my scripts, and I, I'm not sure if I had it in the script I gave you because it was one of my earlier scripts, but definitely have it in now, is that if the artist wants to sacrifice background details to focus on the characters and what they're saying and, and to also like leave room for the dialogue, if there's too much dialogue, like, we feel free, <laughs> like do whatever you need to do to make things work. Trust you. Yeah, yeah, totally. 
I think those are the best collaborators are the people who are like, okay, like I'm writing down generally what happens, but you're the one who's thinking visually. So like whatever you Mm got to do, just do it. Mm As long as it tells the story. Exactly. I love that. Whatever you got to do, just do it. (laughs) Isn't that (laughs) all of us, all of us indie style people who are like, listen, just everybody do what you got to do and I'm going to love it. Sometimes I'll get a script like my, some of my favorite pages that I get in scripts are people who, when they write a script for me, they just like, they have one page that's like, you know what this page looks like. Just go crazy. Like, I'm not going to tell you, I'm going to tell you what happens in this page, but this has to just come out of you. Like, Mm -hmm. those are always really like a hoot to do. Absolutely. That sounds delightful. And like, why not play to the strengths of your artist, right? Yeah. Why not let them run with it? I was very lucky, listeners, to get to read the first issue of Dead Dreams, The Lucid Chronicles. Something that stood out is it it does such a good job of capturing how surreal dreaming is. It's such a surreal experience to dream. And To translate that to the page is actually very challenging, in my opinion. Thank you. It's easy to make dreams that sound fake or too clean, too tight, you know? We want to have a narrative structure, and we're like, here's what this dream is like. And it's like, well, dreams are really weird, you know? Mm -hmm. There's not always logic behind it, or there's dream logic, which is even more confusing. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, actually, this is for both of you, both Brittany and Dalen, what did you focus on to give us that sort of dream, surreal, we're in it with all of the characters feeling? I think for me, it was more about focusing on shock value and how you move through a dream. You know, there's doors that appear suddenly and passageways and there's no like set linear path when dreaming or all of a sudden you're like in a new place and you don't know how you got there right Mm -hmm. and so I think that that's kind of what I was going for in in the script at least. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think um, Brittany did a really great job in including some really interesting details that like sometimes as you read you're like does this mean something or is this weird because it's a dream? And so for me, it was really then just a matter of sort of translating what I read to the page. Visually, I think sort of the biggest contributions that I would say that I made there is just the kind of like feeling of while Pina is dreaming, not everything needing to make 100% sense visually, especially when it comes to like stuff like light and color. I kept like the color palettes, I feel pretty tight from world to world, but like, I sort of, especially when she, you know, like is falling asleep, I was trying to channel this, the visuals of like when you squeeze your eyes shut really tight and that like weird swirling color sparks kind of thing that happens behind your eyelids. Um, I just had to do that while you were talking because I was like, I want to know what what Dalen's talking about. And yeah, 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 Dalen. Yeah, Yeah. I'm picking up what you're putting down. Yeah, yeah. Especially if you're like in a bright room and you can really see it. If you're just doing it in a dark room, less so. But if you face your face to a really bright light and then squeeze your eyes shut really tight, things get weird. Visually, (laughs) things get weird. Yeah, I'm looking out a window. So like it is definitely working for me. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So you know exactly what I was thinking about then. How, How did you decide that was what you wanted to capture? Um, well, for me, it's like, you know, dreaming is such a personal thing from, from person to person, you know, everybody, everybody occupies a different brain. So like what your dreams look like probably doesn't really look that similar to what my dreams look like. But, you know, closing your eyes is sort of the first step to dreaming. And I feel like those weird sort of patterns and colors that your brain just makes up in with 
with the absence of visual information, um, I feel like those are a little bit more universal. Like that maybe that was something that we could all recognize as a jumping off point. I love that. You know, you're like, you're following the rules, but you're not totally following the rules. Mm. Um, Things are sometimes brighter or darker or sparklier or (laughs) more colorful or less colorful than they need to be because it's not a one-to-one interpretation of like objective reality. Um, Mm. And granted, I like to work that way in my comics anyway. I don't don't like things to just look real. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, it's fun. Fun stuff to do. Well, and now as I'm reflecting on on the issue I got to read, I'm like, oh my gosh, of course. Like that, this sort of bizarreness of, you know, bumping around different walls in a Victorian garb. Like that was a very bizarre moment, right? But the coloring is what makes it surreal, right? So it's, it's the pairing of the action and the sort of mood that you're communicating through the art. Yeah. And that's yeah. what makes it so dreamy and surreal. Oh, I just love it. Thank you. The color palettes are really, really, like, very integral to the narrative in this book, for sure. Oh, for sure. It feels like that. It feels very, like, it feels like you couldn't tease any of the individual parts out, right? Like, you couldn't pull the lettering off and it'd be the same story. You couldn't yeah. change the script and it'd be the same story. It all is so integral to how it's it's executed. 100%. You know, we had Danny Lore on the podcast and we talked about their very cool comic Queen of Bad Dreams. And I don't oh, know if Danny. either of you, oh, Danny's so cool. They're, and that comic is so cool. I actually haven't read Queen of Bad Dreams, but I am <gasps> loving, loving Lunar Room. Oh, right Lunar now. Room is so fun. Oh, it's oh, so dope. God, it's like, what? This is everything I want from my fantasy stories. This is I everything. I werewolves. I'm just a, I'm a big werewolf person. So <laughs> yeah. any and all werewolf comics, I'm like, yep, here I am. I've arrived. <laughs> I didn't get that from you, Dalen. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. <laughs> this is new information. Yeah, I'm real, real subtle about it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, when Danny was talking about Queen of Bad Dreams, you know, we got into this conversation about what what dreams symbolize in fiction and or, or some of the things they can symbolize, right? Because everything can be reinterpreted. Mm-hmm. But you know, Danny talked a lot about you know, in in um, you know, the guy who wrote all the Cthulhu horror that we all are like, this guy's Lovecraft. Yeah, thank you. And and how you know when he wrote about dreams, and I think I'm remembering this right, but you know. Who knows? He wrote about, you know, men having dreams, but like women wouldn't in his stories. And that's because women didn't have an interior life. You know, women are flat and more of a reflection of men's experiences than their own people. That's kind of what he's he's going for in those stories. Again, this is a game of telephone. This is what I took away from my conversation with Danny. Not mm-hmm. even necessarily what they said. But what really broke my mind open was Danny was talking about the way that gender, ethnic, and racial minorities have taken back as creatives the sort of dream state and said, you know, no, like every every person, even if you don't think of them as quote unquote human enough to have dreams, has dreams. Okay, so then what does that mean? How do we conceive of ourselves through the process of dreaming? And that's part of what Danny was interrogating in um, Queen of Bad Dreams. And, and, and you know, that's what I see you all interrogating here. The main character, Pina, I believe, is faced with this huge decision. Do you, do you stay in the dream and, and, and live as this thing? Do you come out of the dream and, and live as this other thing? And I thought that was an interesting choice because it's not, 
you know, so often in dreams, it's not a choice. You kind of wake up or you fall asleep or whatever. And it, it you know, it's, it's more chasing you than you chasing it. And I, I loved that sort of shift. So I'm curious, does, is anything that I've just said resonating with how the story came together for you all? If so, like, what were you trying to grapple with, with that sort of, you know, for lack of a better term, maybe like agency or self-awareness or interiority, let's say, um, mm-hmm. for characters who historically maybe weren't afforded that benefit? Yeah, I think that's incredibly resonant. I think at the time when I was writing this, I was pretty obsessed with lucid dreaming and teaching myself how to do it. And I'm not very good at it anymore, but I can still like pull myself out of dreams if they get too intense. Um, And I can also like fall back to sleep and go back into them. And so for, I think for me, exploring the idea that maybe dreams are more than what they seem, maybe they're not just telling us, you know, you're trying to deal with this problem you had earlier in the day. Maybe you're actually like living another life and we're just getting glimpses of it. And that's why we may not like look like ourselves in the dream or, you know, we may look distorted in mirrors. And I, I mean, I don't think I was necessarily exploring. Maybe it was more subconscious that I was exploring agency and choice, but I definitely consciously was thinking about Pina and the choices she she's going to have to make and grappling with like the question, like what is real? I am also grappling with the question, what is real? Yeah, that's a mood. <laughs> like what is real well yeah i mean i have that same question in my waking life (laughs) (laughs) i'm a little bit too susceptible to this as an all a simulation argument Mm -hmm. so i I have to you know touch some grass look at the sun not don't look at the sun look at the light (laughs) right right i think that the the, uh, really i think that stems from seeing the matrix when i was like 13 years old <laughs> and realizing, oh my God, this could not all be real. This is good. This is fake. Everything's fake. <laughs> uh, have you all seen the new Matrix? No, yeah. I haven't. I, I did. I saw it. You can spoil it for me though. I don't care. What'd you think, Brittany? You know, I thought it was more entertaining in a sort of comedy sense versus the, you know, the trilogy. Um, it seemed to like take itself less seriously. Yeah, it felt like it was poking fun at itself a lot. Yeah, yeah. And that was... Which I loved. Fun and unexpected. I think I was expecting it to be like the first one, you know. But of course, why would it be? These All these people are 20 years older and mm-hmm. and they probably wanted to do something different. And I, I respect that, the creator, you know. Same, same. I, I think my favorite part was when... Um, so, like, the conceit inside the story, Daylin, is that uh, Neo is actually a video game designer who had a, a breakdown. He never was in the Matrix. That's all silly. Oh, um, snap. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, mm, I wonder if there's any threads to pull on here. Um, so, <laughs> what's funny is he's doing a sequel to a video game he created, and everybody's like, boo, we don't want a sequel. And there's just this <laughs> moment where I feel like, uh, and I think it's Lena Wachowski did this one. I feel like mm-hmm. she turns the camera and was like, they were going to make a sequel either way. So we could get on board or not. <laughs> it's yeah. the line of the character. <laughs> and you're like, okay, that makes me like it more, you know? Yeah. Um, but I did. I thought it was cute. So tangent. But, you know, we That's all, like we that, all trip out on reality. It seems like this is that crowd. Um <laughs> Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. 
Get 15% back at hundreds of stores. And it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Why do you think, and and you know this is again for both of you, why do you think dreams had to be the mechanism through which Pina has this revelation? Why is her story so deeply tied to dreams specifically? That's a great question. I think that I'm not going to get philosophical on this or anything. I think it was just <laughs> the way to set up conflict <laughs> um, for her to, you know, figure out who she wanted to be. And she's very timid and grew up abused and doesn't really have a lot of direction. And she thinks that these tonics are going to offer her answers. And I think we do that a lot in society where we reach out to mind expanding drugs and alcohol to like feel differently than we would normally without those catalysts, I guess. I feel like there's also something to be said of the fact that like when you are like an anxious, timid person, you do seek out escapist type stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the whole sort of crux of these of these dream tonics is the idea is that they're not real. So, you know, she's seeking out empowerment in a way that is safe and low stakes for her mm-hmm. but in doing so ends up being thrust into something that is way way higher stakes without realizing it yeah yeah poor thing <laughs> <laughs> and and you know something that i was hearing what both of you were saying too is it, it even if subconsciously it comes back to that agency thing right like she's using the tonics to try and find that agency to some degree mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so um yeah I, I think this is a wonderful addition to the body of fiction around dreams it has a unique setup. I love the idea of the tonics, the sort of, um, you know, I don't want to give too much away. So I'm going to say what the dreams are, what we think they are versus what they really are, which is <laughs> extremely cool. Uh, the whole thing is just really, really fun and novel. So, I, you know, I wanted to say just thank you for both of you for putting all that effort in. It is a really fun story. 
Now, you know, I know you're, again, we talked a little bit at the top of the hour about how you're in a Zoop campaign. And I just want to say for the listeners, if you're not familiar with Zoop, it is a fundraising platform for crowdsourcing funding. So it is similar to maybe other platforms that are perhaps uh, evil that are doing similar work. Um, So I would love to hear about how you all chose to work with Zoop what your sort of goals are with the campaign, and then any fun tiers you want to tease for people that you think are uniquely uh, exciting. Oh, yeah. So I heard about Zoop the same time that Kickstarter had announced their vague announcement concerning blockchain technology. And I was like, well, maybe it's time to look at at Zoop uh, or like other things. Uh, What are the other options for creators out there besides uh, Indiegogo and GoFundMe? which is more for like medical stuff and, you know, that yeah. serious emergency type things. Um, and Zoop, in response to Kickstarter, they opened their submissions. And I thought, you know, why the heck not? I've been wanting to get this book out there for a long time and I'll see what happens. And they responded the same day and offered to handle fulfillment and shipping and some marketing, which was very different than Kickstarter. You know, Kickstarter, you have to do everything yourself. Um, or you can hire it out to like third party or whatever. Since Zoop offered that, I was like, well, I can't say no to this. I have I have to explore this more. <laughs> and, you know, signed a contract and committed. And they've been incredibly responsive and encouraging and just generally helpful. And it's been a more intimate experience than like working with Kickstarter, where you're just like working with the platform online and that's it. And what stage was the comic in when you approached Zoop? Did we have a full issue, illustrated everything? Was it a script? Where were you at? Oh, yeah, it's done. Yeah, the comic's drawn. I know we are now. I'm curious, was that the case when you approached Zoop and applied? Was it all in the same place it is now? Okay, very cool. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Entice our listeners. Why should we go over to Zoop? I mean, I'll be doing that right after we get off the call, but what cool things might we get? I mean, we should go because, listen, people, you should be supporting independent creators any way you can. And if you get a little something back, ding, 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 how lucky. But let's pretend, (laughs) let's pretend our listeners aren't the great people they are and who are going to go support your indie comic because they believe in you. Let's pretend they're they're more salesy people. Uh, What's some fun things they might find in the in the tiers? We've got um, the book, of course, with cover by Daylin, and we've got a variant cover by Liana Kangas. And I would say if you want to get them both, I'd recommend a collector's dream, which also has Daylin's lovingly designed enamel pin. It's this rainbow. If you're a pin junkie, this one is going to be a good a good one to add to your collection. Because yeah, it's so cool. I'm like picking out my tier because I need it. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's gonna be glow in the dark and the rainbow anodized metal. Um, I can't. So I can't even. It's going to be. It's gonna be a handsome little little lapel decoration for sure. Yeah, and I mean, if we're honest, and I'm honest. I- I'm in this for the pin. <laughs> I just love enamel pins in general. I have a huge, huge collection of them. Oh, yeah. They're they're fantastic. So that one also has uh, the book plate that Damon also drew, and it's gorgeous. And a double-sided bookmark that's inspired by the cover. Yeah. And then we have uh, limited edition prints from Liana. We've taken the, the variant cover and removed the cover dressing and... And they're going to be signing those. So that's available. And we've got retailer bundles for also for bookstores and teachers. Yeah. One of is- my favorite tiers is that you can get the book, but also get a custom uh, drawing by Rio Burton, who is yeah. a different artist. Um, her work is freaking awesome. 
Um, and she will draw you as your evil doppelganger. Mm-hmm. I saw that and I was like, get out of here. That is so funny. I love that so much. It'll be fun. Rio's a good artist. Like, that's something definitely worth jumping on. Yeah, I, I kind of want to get it myself. <laughs> I kind of don't blame you. I was having the same thought where I was like... Yeah, I mean... Is it too gauche to, like, back your <laughs> no! own campaign so that you can get your own evil doppelganger? <laughs> I know. I, I have been questioning that for three weeks. <laughs> I don't, yeah. I'm going to give you both you. the permission to go ahead and do it. It's awesome. Uh, it just shows how much faith you have in the project. <laughs> well, yeah. I think it's, you know, I got to say, you all have such a low goal in terms of, like, the overall funding you're trying to do, which is not actually feedback. That's an observation of just, like, mm-hmm. come on, folks, we can get you over that line, you know? Yeah. I saw that yeah. there were tiers that were maybe in the single, I don't even remember how much it was, maybe, like, $10, $10 $9, very, very cheap tiers here. Like, wow. And, you know, ones where you can, like you said, get a retailer bundle, a teaching bundle. Um, so there's lots of options. You can find what works for you. If you are dying to have your evil doppelganger drawn, um, hello, go get on that commission before Dalen and Brittany buy them all. Jump on it. Because they're going to get there. Limited quantity for less. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's very exciting. So when when does your campaign close? It closes March 29th. Okay, folks, so you have a little bit less than a week from now to get over there. So don't dally. Don't stress Dalen and Brittany out and save it for the last day. (laughs) Go sponsor. Go be a part of it now. We are going to drop the link to it in our show notes, or you can always just type into your search bar, Zoop Dead Dreams. I did that earlier, and it came up as the top link. So don't you worry. Pretty easy to find us. It Mm -hmm. is. It is. But again, we are going to link to it in the show notes again. So let's make sure we support this amazing, exciting comic from two people who, like, I'm sorry. Now you're my best friends. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so so sorry. That's why I make comics, to make friends. (laughs) I'm here for it. So if people wanted to follow you all on social media, where could they find you? I'm on Twitter and Instagram. As my first and last name, Brittany Matter, B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y-M-A-T-T-E-R. Tell them about your newsletter, too. Oh, gosh, Dylan, you're the best. <laughs> you're the best. Always, always I'll be promoting. Forget. I'll never forget. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know why I always forget. But uh, yeah, I, okay, I do this week, here for. I do this weekly newsletter um, where once a month it's just updates for me, like what I'm working on. And then typically the rest of the month. Uh, I'm interviewing comic book creators and talking process and helping them, you know, promote their books because I love comics and I don't know how people promote and get their books out there. So I wanted to like (laughs) create an outlet, I guess, for them to talk about their stuff. I love it. And how do we sign up for that newsletter? Great question. It's on Substack and it's called A Matter of Fiction. Amazing. And Dalen, where can folks find you on social media? All right. Yeah. If you want to uh, keep tabs on my ass hattery and shenaniganry, um, the best place to do it is probably Twitter, um, where I am at Dalen Ogden. That's D-A-I-L-E-N-O-G-D-E-N. Um, otherwise, if you would rather uh, fewer of my shit posts and more of just my art, you can follow me on Instagram, which is at Dalen Dalen, which is just my first name twice. Those are really kind of the only two that I'm actively updating right now. Um, so those are good places to find me. Uh, I also have a website, dalenogdenillustration.com. So that's kind of a central hub if you want to see 
sort of what I'm doing. I'm not great about updating it, but <laughs> that is where you go if you want to buy stuff from me. My shop is currently closed, but I do um, I do pop-up shops periodically where I will open for 24 hours or a weekend or something like that. So good place to check. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah, it's a lot easier than just keeping my shop open all the time, which is yeah. stressful. It is, isn't it? So we will go ahead and list all of those in the show notes. So if you didn't have a pen out, you're driving, you're commuting, what have you, don't worry. You can just go click the three little dots next to the description of the episode and all of those links will be there. We like to make it easy for you, folks. So come on, folks, do go support Dead Dreams, The Lucid Chronicles on Zoop and make sure to support Dalen and Brittany in everything they do. We are all about the indie comics and indie comic creators here at Bitches on Comics. Hey, we love the mainstream stuff too. Don't get me started. Very excited for the Miss Marvel TV show. But that's a conversation for another day. We know we got to take care of each other because no one else is going to. So make sure you go over there. Contribute what you can. It really, I mean, I'm going to speak for you, Dalen and Brittany, but I don't think it matters how much it is. I think it matters to to show up and, and pat these amazing creators on the back and help them live their dreams. Get yeah. it? Every yes. little bit counts. Thank you. <laughs> yes, dream with us. <laughs> Beautiful. Dale and Brittany, thank you so much for your time today. This has been an absolute delight. And again, on behalf of the whole Bitches on Comics team, we really appreciate you being here with us today. Thank you again for having us. This was a blast. Yeah, thank you. Woohoo! Thank you for listening to Bitches on Comics. We are a bi-weekly podcast where we talk to your favorite comics and pop culture creators and critics about what matters to them in comics and pop culture, as you might have guessed. You can follow us on Twitter at at Bitches on Comics and on Instagram at at Bitches on Comics. Our website is, brace yourself, bitchesoncomics.com. If you go there, you can listen to any of our episodes and we've got other shit that we put on tabs. I don't remember what it is. I am in charge of updating the website, however, so good luck. Thanks for the heads up. I'll go to this website now. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor. You can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. 
and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.